The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So how do we know what we know about God? How do we know what God is like? How do you know how you should respond to God? A lot of people think that you can know, that you can know about God just kind of by intuition, that you sort of feel what God ought to be like. I mean, I'm sure that you've heard this, people saying, oh, I think that God would be, or the God I believe in is like this, or the Bible would, uh, or the God I believe in would never do this or never do that. People seem to think that you can kind of decide for yourself what God is like and how God would expect us to live and respond to him. But is that it? Is it just intuition? Do we just have to take a guess? Well, I suppose the fact that we're sitting here this morning means that we don't think it's about taking a guess. And this morning we're looking at this psalm that wants to raise those questions about how do you know what you know about God? And how do you know how it is that you're supposed to respond to God? And they're clearly answered by what the writer of this psalm has to say. So the psalm opens with the writer saying that there are some very obvious things that we can know about God. And we can know them kind of by intuition. We can know them without any real investigation. All you've got to do is open your eyes, step out into the world that we live in and you can know these things. Look at what it says, verses 1 through to 4. The heavens declare the, the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. The voice goes out into all the earth. The words to the end of the world. The heavens tell us about God's glory. The very existence of the sun and the moon and the stars and the universe that we live in is proof that there is a God there. The creation itself says something about God. Did you see all of the talking language that he's put into those verses? 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his hands, the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. whole lot of talking language in there, isn't there? Creation itself, the writer's saying, says something about God tells us that this is God's handiwork. All you have to do is look around creation and you, and you realise God did this. There's some great expressions in there. The creation pours forth speech. I mean, it literally gushes with information is what the writer's saying. And I love that you don't need a translator to tell you what it's saying, even though it's speaking, the creation is speaking about God. It's for every language to be able to hear. It's a universal language. In fact, it transcends language. And it's a universal declaration of God's glory. Now, I wonder if that might be what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he... Oh, haven't got that in there. No, there it is. I'm wondering whether or not this might be what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he said this in Romans chapter 1. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, that is, to the population of this world... Because God has made it plain to them. For since the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made so that people are without excuse. No excuses for not hearing what creation says. Now when you get to verse 4 to 6, The writer changes the tone for just a moment uh, and focuses in on the sun. And at first glance, for our 21st century eyes, we're kind of wondering what the significance of this is. But in the culture of the day, this is pretty important stuff. At the time that this psalm was written, probably somewhere 800, 1,000 years before Jesus, there were plenty of religions where the sun was right at the very centre of that religion that it was seen as being some kind of deity to be worshipped. Now, the writer has personified creation. He's given it human characteristics. And he says that creation can talk, that it can testify about God. But he stops well short of saying that creation is God or that any part of creation is God. In fact, that's the whole point that he wants to make with the sun. The sun is not God to be worshipped. The sun was put there by God. God pitched the tent for the sun. God's the one who sets the course for the sun. The point is, don't glorify the sun. Glorify the God who made the sun and put it up there. Now, while creation can give us some idea of what God is like, there are clearly limitations on what creation can actually tell us. Creation doesn't reveal God's moral character. It doesn't tell us anything about his characteristics like justice or mercy or love or compassion or grace. Yep, creation is great at letting us know that God is there, no doubt about it. But it doesn't tell us much more than the fact that God is glorious. It doesn't show us how we ought to really relate to that God. So if you want to know God... If you want to know how to rightly respond to God, then you're going to need more information. 
Creation simply won't do it. We need more information. And that's where the rest of the psalm comes in. See, from verse 7 onwards, the tone of the psalm changes. That's prompted some people to think that originally this was possibly two psalms because they do sound a bit different. The first six verses and then going on from verse 7, it does sound like it's written by different people. But I think that's missing the point. There's a bigger message that the writer of this psalm has for us. If you have your Bible there, you'll notice starting in verse number 7, did you see the way that it's got the word Lord there? And the way that it has it with capital letters, a large capital for L and small capitals for O-R-D. That's the Yahweh word. So whenever you see that word, you should think to yourself, Yahweh. Because that's the personal name of God. The name that God gave to the people of Israel so that they could know him personally. Not know about him, but know him personally. And in the first six verses that we read, the word God, which is kind of the generic home brand name for deity, uh, that's only used once right at the beginning. So starting in verse 7, the writer wants to really stress something because he uses the word Lord, Yahweh, seven times in eight verses. This isn't two psalms stuck together. This is clearly one psalm with a very clear and simple message. See, the writer wants to say, sure, you can look at creation and you can be amazed and you can stand back and say, isn't God incredible? But that's about all that creation can really say. Creation speaks of God's glory, but that's all it says. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know... God personally, if you want to know how to respond to God, then God needs to reveal himself. And that's what follows in verse 7. The writer is saying, God has revealed himself in his word. God has spoken to us. God himself has made himself known clearly. He hasn't left us in the dark guessing what he's like or how it is that we're supposed to respond to him. No, and I hope this doesn't sound like a grammar lesson because, let's face it, I'm very much the the last person who should be giving grammar lessons. But have a look at the six statements that the writer makes in this psalm. They start, starting in verse number seven, they start with a noun and then uh, there's an adjective that describes that noun and then there are verbs which are the action that follow on. Let Let me show you. I've got them here up on the screen. So the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. A whole bunch of different words used there that all really mean the same thing. Law, statutes, precepts, commands, ordinances. They're God talking about what he expects from his people. God has clearly revealed himself in his word. 
Now, it may sound like that the talking is all about rules and regulations, but that's not the case. The word law that in Israel didn't simply mean a, a list of rules. If you look at the law, the first five books, it's the testimony of what God has done for his people as well as how he expects his people to live. When Jesus talked about the Old Testament, he talked about the law or the law and the prophets or the law and the prophets and the writings. But the law was a shorthand way of summing up the whole Old Testament that we have in our Bible. Following those six statements in the psalm, the writer wants to, press, wants to stress how precious God's word is. More valuable than gold and sweeter than honey. And then comes the last change in tone in the psalm. Starting in verse number 12, the writer says this. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The Bible says that God's word acts like a mirror. It shows us what we are like. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. See, in these closing sentences, verse number 14, do you see what he's saying within the context of the psalm? He's saying, from here on, God, help me to live in a way that is pleasing in your sight. Help me to think right things. Help me to say right things. See, when I see what God is like, I see what needs to change in me. That's the progression that we have in this psalm. So it starts out by saying that creation screams out about God's glory. And then God shows us what he's like in his word. And when you see what God's like, you see what you need to change. You see how you need to respond to God. See, if God's word is perfect and it can revive the soul, if, if it's trustworthy and it can make wise the simple, if it's right and if it's able to give me joy, if it's radiant and if it can give light to my eyes, well, then surely I'd want to change in light of God's word, that I'd want to let it shape my life and my attitudes and my values. You can't look at a psalm like this without recognising that the clearest way that God has made himself known to us is not simply through his word, but through the word who became flesh. It's no coincidence that we've got four accounts of the life of Jesus in the pages of our New Testament. If you want to know how to live as God's people, how you should respond to God, then the overwhelming answer is... Listen to what God's word says. And above all, listen to his son, whom he loves. 